This episode of Warp Five is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for creating a blog, website, portfolio, or an online store. Create your own space today by visiting squarespace.com and use offer code Trek Nine to save ten percent. Plus, if you'd like to support our programming personally, visit trek.fm/donate to get our new alien badges and art prints featuring original illustration by Tobu Ushi. Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM. How we doing, Trip? Ready when you are. Prepare for warp. Course laid in, sir. Request permission to get underway. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Warp Five, our dedicated Star Trek Enterprise show. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me once again, as she is every week from down there in Australia, it's my co-host Kate Walsh. Kate, you know we didn't record a show last week; we had to take a break. We're back this week. How have things been going for you? Pretty good, actually. I、uh, attended a convention a couple of weekends ago and met Ms. Nichelle Nichols, which was an absolute honour. Uh, she was wonderful to listen to, and、um, really gracious in talking with the fans as well. And I'm sure your one question to her was, "What did you think about Captain Archer and Star Trek Enterprise?" Right. Well, that was the the first question. The second one was, "What did she think of Trip running around in his underwear?" <laughs> oh yeah, they didn't have. But don't forget, now she got to see Sulu running around. Shirtless in the naked time, so <laughs> it's not the、uh, not the first time someone's run around a ship called Enterprise in their underwear. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that sounds like fun. I, I wish I could meet Michelle as well. She's such an inspiration, I think, to to everyone over the years, and has done so many great things for education and science and the space program and and. Everything, so it would be wonderful to be able to talk to her. So very lucky you are there. I was, and she liked my outfit too, which is always a plus. Oh well, of course. <laughs> All right, well, let's jump into the show today, Kate. And you know, I've always said that for me, Star Trek is about exploring ourselves and the challenges that we face in society. And science fiction in general is like that, really. And being able to look at those things from an outsider perspective is really the key to seeing the realities. And the best-known in-universe application of this for Star Trek is, of course, the Prime Directive, which is something we love to talk about and debate in Star Trek. For our characters, this is known as Starfleet General Order One, and we decided to talk about the Prime Directive today. As it applies to Enterprise, you know, we could do probably a ten-hour show, a marathon show, talking about the Prime Directive in Star Trek overall. But to keep it reasonable, we're going to focus on the precursor to the Prime Directive by looking at three key episodes from Enterprise. So, what are those key episodes? Well, there were three main episodes that looked at、uh, the process for. Coming to terms with and developing the Prime Directive, the first being Dear Doctor, 
And the second was an episode called The Communicator and the last one being Cogenitor. And in different ways, these episodes explored how the prime directive might work, why it's important, um, and the consequences of not following that directive. So Enterprise gives us this really unique perspective on that and looking at in in its raw form when that kind of uh, guideline isn't around, how the Starfleet officers might behave and and in a very strong way how it can impact the other species that they interact with. Even though I think in some of the other series they still at times choose to go against the prime directive, they have those principles in the back of their mind and they've got the history and they've got almost like a case case history of things to go on to, to reference and, and to guide their decisions. So in some of these episodes we get to explore the issues surrounding the Prime Directive much more strongly because there isn't that history to rely on and they're looking at it for the very first time and they are being guided by the Vulcans who have been through this kind of stuff before but in many ways the Vulcans are coming from a different perspective to humans so they're still having to find their own way with it which is really interesting. Right and the Vulcans I feel like T'Pol is kind of letting Archer figure this out on his own. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, Archer says, you know, she's given me many lectures on topics like this before, but in the end, T'Pol is standing back as the Vulcan and, and seeing th- this is Archer's ship. It's the human's journey to mm-hmm. take in exploring the stars and figuring out how they're going to deal with this. And of course, this is all pre-Federation, so it's not like the Vulcans really can tell the humans what to do in the situation. But not just the Vulcans, but the first episode that we come to, Dear Doctor, you see from Flox's perspective, I think that the Denobulans also, like the Vulcans, have experience with this. They have established their own views and their own framework of how they would deal with this situation. And of course, we get that from Flox as a doctor and as a scientist, but I think we also are getting some of that from him as a race, as the Denobulans themselves. So Archer has, he has two good people on the ship with him to mentor him, but they allow him to come to his own conclusions. And it's a real shame that there are only three episodes in Enterprise that truly solidly deal with the Prime Directive, Mm. because it's a topic that I think the series really should have dealt with more like this process of how humans learn the the best way to interact i started to say the proper way but see that's part of the debate right mm. is it proper is it improper you know how do you approach these things what i do like about these three episodes though is that they take us from archer not even thinking about this in the beginning to Archer pretty much coming to the conclusion of what we would come to know as the prime directive at the end of Cogenitor. I think uh, what you said about whether it's the proper way to act or not is the most interesting element of the prime directive. It's ultimately uh, a moral code that the Federation has adopted, uh, but it is just one moral code. In and of itself, that doesn't make it the correct one. I mean, you could argue whether there is even such a thing as 
um, you know, an absolute moral position. Um, that is is a moral position in itself to say that we have moral absolutism versus moral relativism, and the Federation adopts a moral relativist position. Uh, and I think in we talked about flocks. Flocks is the perfect example of that. Flocks is like your typical anthropologist going out there, interested to learn about cultures, to observe, to observe people on the ships and their movie watching behaviours, how they mate. You know, he he's an observer, but he um, is very hesitant to get involved. Uh, and it yeah, it makes me wonder to what degree is that flocks? To what degree is that Denobulan society? I think looking at the Vulcans. I'm not sure that they actually ever really adopted a prime directive in the Enterprise era. I, I think about that you know they had their rules about not getting involved with a society that until they were warp capable, but they did stay around. They did help them and guide them under the prime directive. I'm not sure that that's something that that really would have happened. Um, likewise, their reasoning in the episode "Fight or Flight" when Tapol says to Archer that they never would have boarded the ship with the people hanging on the meat hooks, her reasons for that were quite different to what they would have been if someone were quoting the Prime Directive. It was almost a cultural indifference. Right. Yeah, fight or flight is not, to me, a Prime Directive situation, really, because they find this ship out in space. and they're... I think the Prime Directive applies a lot more to either someone asking for help, mm. which is the case here in Dear Doctor, or you take a case like where you feel that uh, a society, well, it's kind of what Dear Doctor turns into. Dear Doctor is a very, very interesting episode because initially you have the Valakians, and you you think, okay, this is the species, the race on this one planet. But then you find out that you have the mink. So then you've got a second intelligent species on the same planet, and there are different levels of development. And so it's kind of like with, say, like Who Watches the Watchers, where you have, you know, Starfleet is observing the Mentakans. Well, the Mentakans, they're not anywhere close to being ready to make contact with another civilization. Or you take something like the episode First Contact from the Next Generation, where there you have a planet that is about to achieve warp capability. And Starfleet goes to actually initiate First Contact with them. But internally, you know, that world's not quite ready for that yet. And so even then, you may be adversely affecting the development of the society. Well, it is an interesting point, though, to say, uh, talk about adversely affecting the development of a society because I can certainly understand from the perspective of non-spacefaring races that we would be uh, affecting their development. But in the case of, of peoples who do have the capability to explore space and therefore interact, it makes me question whether that interaction, that ability to interact, is a natural part of their development anyway, um, that, that they don't live in isolation. And so is it really unnatural in their development for us to be influencing that? Right. And, and you think about us right now. So we have the ability to explore the space within our own solar system. 
And of course, the Voyager 1 just left the solar system here recently. But yet, would you consider that to be a situation where, okay, we're exploring space and therefore now it's okay if some alien race were to come in here tomorrow and say, hey, you know what? We're just hanging around the corner. Uh, why don't you guys, you know, hop on our ship? I'll show you around. We'll all have a great laugh about, you know, how we didn't know each other before, <laughs> which is kind of what, you know, Archer says in the communicator, right? You know, we'll just, let's give him the grand tour of the ship and we'll laugh about how they almost killed us. You know, I mean, I, I would say we're still not ready for that ourselves. But going back to the episode of Dear Doctor, the Valakians were able to move about in space. You know, that's how all of this came about. Uh, it's mm-hmm. not like they were just sending satellites out there to yeah. gather general scientific data. And also, as you said, the Vulcans have this idea about, well, is a species warp capable yet or not? And to Paul tells Archer, well, you know, they did come looking for us. And mm-hmm. considering they've already met two other warp-capable species, the risk of contamination seems acceptable. So there's like this line, okay, well, do they have warp capability or do they at least know that other people have warp capability? Mm -hmm. If they know that it's possible to travel faster than the speed of light, well, then it's okay. Just the whole idea that we can draw some sort of line Mm -hmm. like this in the first place is what makes it possible, like I said at the beginning, to have a 10-hour show where we debate the prime Mm -hmm. directive and whether it's a valid principle or philosophy or not. And is it an absolute law? Right, which is what Worf says at one point. Mm, mm. That Worf says that it's the prime the directive prime is absolute. <laughs> <laughs> the prime suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> we would be violating the prime suggestion. Captain, I suggest that. <laughs> we would be violating the prime suggestion. It sounds like something out of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, doesn't it? <laughs> well, the other thing is that the Valakians asked for help. And that was another issue that they considered in this episode. And in accordance with the, the later evolutionary aspects of the Prime Directive, it wasn't just about warp-capable species. Even if it was a warp-capable species, had they had their leadership asked for help? Um, you know, were they going to be interfering in internal affairs? Which is perhaps along the lines of where Flox's objections came into it. Um, but they had asked for help. And there's a good parallel in this episode drawn with uh, offering medical assistance and treating medical ailments in our own world. And do we see uh, the treatment of genetic defects or or other forms of, of medical illness as uh, a violation of the laws of nature? Do we see that as playing God? Right. And that, I mean, that's the the crux of, as I said earlier, Dear Doctor is just a really great episode. And often when we talk about that that episode, we talk about it from Flox's perspective, right? At the ethical Mm. quandary that he faces as a physician. But it's equally a dilemma for Archer Mm. where it comes to the Prime Directive. And, And I think actually, as much as I love the Flox story in that episode... I think from a Star Trek perspective, in an in-universe perspective, I actually think Archer's dilemma is more interesting mm. because it's showing the development of humans and Starfleet and the principles you know that we come to know later. And you know, Archer's initial take on the mink is that he wants to just help them because it's natural. You know, we we see someone who's suffering, 
we have the ability to help them. We naturally, we want to help them. And we don't really think about what the long-term consequences of that might be. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you can think, you know, historically, if many different famous figures in history who played pivotal roles in the development of our own history, what if those people had never been born? What if they died? You know, it goes back to the city on the edge of forever with Edith Keeler. And, you know, she has to die if she lives. Germany wins World War II. It's like that kind of thing here. So... We don't think about the long-term consequences of something. And who knows here? If Archer helps the mink, maybe the mink, they go on, they they kill all the Valakians, and then they become a, a territorial species. They move out. They start conquering other worlds. They become a great nemesis of the Federation two or 300 years in the future. Yet you don't know what, what uh, the consequences might be. And so so what do you think here, though, about Flox's initial reaction to this, where Archer wants to help, Flox says that it wouldn't be ethical. Flox says we'd be interfering with an evolutionary process that has been going on for thousands of years. Now, do you take that from Flox's perspective as being purely ethics as a doctor, as a medical doctor, or ethics as just people from another society influencing another society? I think originally the episode started off with his ethics from a medical perspective, wanting to help, looking for a cure. Things changed for Phlox once he realized the uh, interrelationship between the Valakians and the Menk and the, um, the changing... Uh, you know, the, the evolutionary progression of, of the mink, that they were intelligent, that they had the ability to flourish. Uh, personally, I think that he allowed a personal sympathy for the mink and perhaps a sense that they were being held back by the Valekians, which is his own personal judgment, to influence uh, his decision to then argue that it would be unethical to help the Valakians. I don't think that his later position was based on medical ethics, but rather his own personal perspective. And he sees it from a biological standpoint, I think. And as you said at the beginning, he's the anthropologist in the situation too, because he talks about how it may take a millennia mm but the mink have the potential to become the dominant species on the planet. And that one, and then Archer says that won't happen as long as the Valakians are around. Where, where this, this line of reasoning grates me though, is if we were to apply this to our own world and right. placing similar arguments in terms of helping people with the medical technology we have available. You know, what what would the impact well, be on humanity if if we didn't treat cancer? You know, maybe the people that were going to be under the thumb of the managers who had cancer and and didn't die because of treatment will flourish themselves. You know what I mean? We could make all sorts of arguments along those lines, and we don't um, from a, a place of humanity and of wanting to do what we can for people when we have that within our control. Right, and and that's where. Star Trek in this case and science fiction allows us to look at our own situation and but look at it as outsiders and 
first of all, we think, well, okay, if we take this position, but we're talking about two different planets in this case, mm. it's one thing. Then what if it's within ourselves? And that's a point that Archer ultimately comes through to jump ahead to the cogenitor just momentarily here mm. at the very end of cogenitor when he's talking to Tripp. And he tells Tripp, you know, I might agree with what you did if this was Florida or Singapore, but it's not. And so I think at that point, Archer comes to the realization that there there is a difference about how we handle things internally in our own society versus how we handle it with others. And then to bring that back to Earth in the world today, it, it, it applies to how we handle our own society, meaning our own nation versus how we get involved in the affairs of other nations. And of course, that's in the news mm. every day. There's always some situation where those who have technology or have what they feel are higher evolved ethical standards want to get involved in the affairs of other countries mm. and impose their idea of right or wrong on another culture. And so is that right? Should we be doing that? Because you can look at it and say, well, okay, maybe if we're thinking in Star Trek terms, yeah, because it's Earth and we're going to take care of our own people. But of course, in the real world, it's only Earth right now. Well, the, <laughs> parallel here, else to go. The, the parallel here is with the 1960s and the Vietnam War and the controversy over whether there should have been interference in that war by Western countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... You know, so much of Star Trek is looking at looking at ourselves through the parallels drawn with other races and our interactions with them. And so I think it's quite okay to say and, and to draw these parallels with even, even today, nation states. And it's not just about more powerful countries imposing their values and their technologies on other countries. It's also about offering humanitarian aid. And under this kind of guideline, this prime guideline that's starting to develop, um, that that would be inappropriate, at least by the precedent set by Archer and Flockford's decision here. Right. And that's something we see through Star Trek where we have doctors, you know, we have Crusher, we have Bashir, we have doctors who really are at odds with situations like that, right? Because as physicians, they've sworn to help anyone who needs help. Mm. And they are, I mean, of course, they're capable of of imagining what long-term consequences might be, but mm-hmm. in the end, it's really hard for them to sit by, and which is like for us on Earth now, right? It's, it's hard for us to sit by and see that people are suffering in one country, and we know that we can help them, and, and we want to go help, but it's not always as clean cut as just saying, we're going to go in with our medicine, and we're going to help these people. You know, there There are... It's more complex than that. There are political elements to it that have to be considered as well. Well, the main thing I have against the Prime Directive is that I feel that it's lazy ethics. From any consequentialist ethics perspective, when you weigh up the pros and the cons, you're looking at the various ends and whether it's going to be a good end to pursue because the ends of what's important in that approach, then you weigh up all the possible consequences that are known and that are reasonable to know. What I feel that Starfleet does more often than not in applying the Prime Directive, particularly like in in Dear Doctor, 
is adopt a but it could be disastrous approach with no real way to know whether it's going to be disastrous or not and it puts fear on the table and it lets fear guide those decisions and to me that's lazy ethics right it's interesting that i agree you 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 don't know it has to be a case by case basis almost mm. right like you say you have to weigh the pros and the cons and figure out what's the right thing to do in this situation over time it seems to have evolved in starfleet but then more after that so in tng in symbiosis which is a very early episode uh, picard says that the prime directive is not just a set of rules mm. it is a philosophy and a very correct one history has proven again and again that whenever mankind interferes with a less developed civilization no matter how well intentioned that interference may be the results are invariably disastrous mm. so it's basically saying like it's going to end badly always which i think is not not really the case no. right and and you could argue here that in the communicator you could argue that the impact that archer and his crew had on that planet could actually be beneficial to the mm. people on that planet because the fear that one side has that the other side has developed invisibility cloaks and powerful laser weapons mm. and would be able to completely overrun them in a war could actually lead to reconciliation and a more peaceful world which would allow those people to uh live better lives and for their technology and their science mm. and their medicine and everything to flourish in the future so for picard to say that it's always going to lead to bad results I think highlights as you're saying part of the mm. problem with the idea of the prime directive in the first place. And and once again if we draw parallels with with our interactions with other countries on earth that that we provide aid to it's hard to foresee that I mean sure you know that that country might do better as a result and then become some um dictatorship in the future but would we argue on the basis of that that we shouldn't have offered help? Right, it's a question what can we do now? Mm. We don't know what will happen in the future, mm. but we know what we can do now. And that's why I say of... it has to be a case by case basis. You mm. have to weigh, you know, in some situations you could extrapolate what might happen in the future mm. and you can say well we really shouldn't do this because of these conditions and these pre-existing conditions and where mm. they are most likely to lead based on our experience. But in other situations, you can say, you know, it's it's possible they might become a dictatorship in the future and mm. come back and destroy us but the chances are really really small yeah that's right speaking of the communicator it's another interesting episode and it's a case where i think enterprise did something the episode itself for me is not a great episode it it just the very ending of it is good when to paul and what she says to archer but i do think it's an example of enterprise doing something well that it should have been doing as a prequel series which is that the communicator is essentially a follow up to a piece of the action in the original series because at the end mm. of a piece of the action bones leaves his communicator on sigma iwisha 2 and but tos just brushes it off you know it's like, okay well haha you left it i wonder what'll happen you know 
let's mm. go on next week and go to another planet and tell them that they're wrong in what they're doing and blow up their computer and go somewhere else. So enterprise here though, is taking that situation and showing the consequences of what could happen if a crew member left a communicator down and then they go back down to the planet to get that. And the, the ending is what I like where Archer comes back up and he says, what's important is that we got everything back. The communicator, the phase pistol, the shuttle pod. We could have done a lot of damage to those people if we'd left any of it behind. And then T'Pol says, we did do damage to those people. Mm. And then Archer says, we've changed their perception of the Alliance. So it's like a light bulb going on for Archer mm. that up until that point, and that this is the second episode of these three episodes, which are spread out over the course of two seasons. He's Archer's still thinking just in terms of material objects. Like, okay, we... Mm. We didn't leave anything behind that they can take apart. And so we didn't really impact them. And then to Paul rightly says, no, we did do damage to those people. You don't have to leave technology behind to contaminate a culture. And I think that is the whole key to that episode is that this is a case where Archer and his crew completely violated what we would come to know as the prime directive. Mm. They they did something that shows exactly why, as much as we disagree with the idea of the prime directive being an absolute, it needs to be in place as a guiding principle. Because if it's not in place as a guiding principle, situations like this would happen far, far more often. Because they had a huge impact on that planet, I believe. Of course, we'll never know because they never come back to the story. But if you think about it, this is like a World War II situation going on on this planet. And you've got these two sides bent on destroying one another. And as I was just saying a little bit earlier, as a result of this interaction with the Enterprise crew, uh, you know, that conflict may come to an end. Mm. And, or it could also push this side to develop more and more and more powerful weapons the way that the U.S. developed the hydrogen bomb in World War II. Like, we we have to up the ante. We have to have more power. So it could do that, or it could lead to peace talks and an end of the conflict. Either way, it's not going to be the status quo on that planet after this encounter that no. they had with the Enterprise crew. It's interesting when you look at this compared with Dear Doctor, because Dear Doctor really does deal with the prime directive from the perspective of a culture that's asked for help and that is space faring versus in the communicator one that really doesn't have the same capabilities that um, humanity has and and they're the two main situations that that the prime directive is is geared around in the communicator I'm much more at peace with the way the Prime Directive is applied there. Uh, if they're not aware of the Enterprise, if they're not aware of uh, Earth, of the technology, then I don't think we would uh, want to interfere in their culture in any way. Um, it, it's like um, in uh, Star Trek Into Darkness 
with the volcano thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> un- under the Prime Directive, I would have been quite happy to let that volcano explode. Um, and I figured, right. well, that's just the course of that planet and so forth. I didn't think that there was any need for them to interfere there. Um, right. Uh, but uh, so so I, I find this to be quite a different ethical scenario to what we see in Dear Doctor. And they did do, or potentially did do quite a bit of harm. And, and as you say, it's interesting that they, they started off, it was all about the technology. What if they got their hands on this advanced technology, which is often a concern raised in Star Trek. But in the end, it was the cultural contamination and the perception that there were these super soldiers being created by the other side um, and, and the damage that that could do. Um, it, it, as you say, it may not, they don't know, but they've certainly changed that culture forever. Earlier I said that Paul's letting Archer find his own way here, kind of guiding him a little bit. I think that's another case here where she's... She's, you know, letting him take the actions, but in the end, she's showing him, okay, you did this, you think you got away with it because you didn't leave anything behind, but think about everything that's now in their heads mm. that they are are thinking is possible, you still affected them. And that's where the communicator is the bridge for Archer from getting to where he was at the beginning of Dear Doctor to where he is at the end of Cogenitor. Mm-hmm. It's a very good bridge because that's the point where he realizes that just the, the the actions towards another culture can have a significant impact on them or at least people within the culture, which is you know what happens. When they're being held captive, um, it, it's quite interesting to observe the way that he- that Archer and Reed interact and the extent to which they are prepared to go to protect that culture by not revealing the truth, uh, which to me was quite unexpected so early on in the piece. We'd really only had a couple of instances to do with getting involved with other cultures and, and possible contamination. Um, and so that was, I found, a quite a natural state for them to be and it didn't feel forced it, it felt quite honorable um i i remember reading i read um in, in looking into this over the week a quote by kirk where he said a starship captain's most solemn oath is that he will give his life even his entire crew rather than violate the prime directive and that's precisely what archer was prepared to do here Funny that Kirk should right. say that because he didn't seem to really believe yeah. in the Prime Directive as much. But <laughs> well, I I don't know if I would say that Kirk didn't believe in the Prime Directive, but Kirk was very willing to apply it as he saw fit in given situations. Now, the the original series Kirk was much more because the series was on at a time you know westerns were popular and it's more that style. He was much more ready to charge in and mm. you know. Destroy Landrew, uh, destroy the computer and a taste of Armageddon, whatever, and just say, all right, you're on your own. I hope you're ready for it. <laughs> because he felt that what was going on wasn't right. The The, the film Kirk is a bit wiser and a bit mm, more mm-hmm. measured in how he approaches things. But I, I think that, okay, so Dear Doctor came pretty early. It's the 13th episode of season one. Now, The Communicator is the eighth episode of season two. I think that what we can 
try to think of is the idea that we see many of the missions of the enterprise. We don't see everything that's going on, of course, mm. in their daily lives. So you feel like time is passing and just slowly they're starting to encounter more planets and more races and see more things. And they're starting to formulate in their mind that we should try not to contaminate other planets so much. Now, it really makes me wonder why they were going down to this planet in the first place, because it's something that you see in the next generation more, right? Where they do the prosthetics and they go down mm -hmm. and kind of mix into a society so they can observe. Often it's because they're preparing to make first contact in the relative future and uh, they they want to find out more about the people and be prepared for it. Here it's a case where I feel like the Enterprise crew thought that why don't we make ourselves look like them, go down, see what's going on down there. And it's a situation that they were not ready for yet. They really mm -hmm. had no business doing this in the first place. That's why they made mistakes like leaving their iPhone behind. And <laughs> And even the prosthetics themselves, you know, it's just like latex. You just pull it, pull it right off. and It just kind of flakes off and they're like, hey, what's this? Oh, my God, yeah. the forehead's coming off. And then they just pull it back and it's, yeah, it's just like latex. And so that wasn't going to fool anybody if they were captured. So I don't think they had any business going down to that planet in the first place. And but, They might but, as well have just worn Groucho Marx kind of sunglasses and the nose. <laughs> and the with the nose on. <laughs> Don't mind us. <laughs> We're not who you think we are. We're, We're from the other you. province. Uh, so, but anyway, th their sense of how they should approach other worlds is evolving. And so they are more willing to sacrifice themselves mm -hmm. at this point. Uh, and it can be a case where they kind of realized after it happened, like, you know, we could really screw these people up. We, we'd better... Mm -hmm make this right somehow. So let, let's move on to Cogenitor because we're starting to run a little bit long here. Uh, with Cogenitor, this is the point where it's all about Trip, of course, and his feelings about how this third gender with the Visians is being treated because when he finds out that like there's no actual difference in their ability, this third gender, this Cogenitor is perfectly capable of learning to read and write and do everything that the others are doing. He has a, again, a very human reaction that that's mm. not fair. And especially if we look at the Star Trek universe as being in the, even in the 22nd century, humanity has kind of leveled out a bit to try to be everyone's more equal. That's something that really rubs trip the wrong way. And he wants to do something about it. And I think, you know, maybe he kind of feels inside like I, yeah, I shouldn't really do it, but I just, I have to. It's just, it's wrong to me to sit back and watch someone who is purposely being held back from seeing their potential. And so he starts to get involved. And, but then at the end, in terms of this discussion that we have today, Archer for me really comes to the conclusion that we need to have a guiding principle like the prime directive. Mm. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think that interestingly all along, Chip did know that he was doing the right thing. I think that's probably, uh, sorry, the wrong thing that, that that's come from 
everything they've learned so far. If he didn't know that he was actually doing something wrong, he wouldn't have been trying so hard to hide it. Right, uh, exactly. But obviously his his personal moral compass was driving him to interfere regardless. I, uh, In many ways, his perspective reminds me of Phlox's reaction to the mink in seeing the potential of uh, another group of people and feeling like that potential was being squashed by someone else and that sense of injustice. And uh, it, it once again for me raises that interesting issue of if this were on earth and we were seeing injustices in other nation states, how would we react? And I think over the years we've, we've reacted in very different ways and in different circumstances. It's never really been clear cut, um, particularly when uh, religions brought into the debate and, and people's right to practice their own beliefs. And so we tend to be more hesitant to interfere in those circumstances and we tend to draw a distinction between certain types of civil rights and the right to religious freedom. I'm not sure which one circumstances in cogenitor fall into. Where it, it is similar to Dear Doctor again is that the social circumstances of that, that third gender are very much linked with the biological processes of this race overall mm -hmm. and the, the procreation. Uh, and I think on that basis, that is where I would support Archer's decision. Yeah, I support Archer's decision because even looking here on Earth, that I, I think that... Okay, well, here's the difference. So here with these Visians, we're dealing with an alien culture. So they're completely separate from us. In that situation, I agree with Archer, we can't get involved in something like this. We may think it's wrong. And, and certainly, I mean, I think it's wrong if I just look and I see that a society is holding an entire group of individuals, intentionally preventing them from becoming literate because they know that if these people become literate and you know learn more of their capabilities and all, they won't want to do this job anymore, possibly. And that that would still bother me. I mean, they're holding someone back like this. On Earth, it's different because we, we have a framework. Uh, now, the framework doesn't work very well, but we have it and we have the ability to make it work or fail to whatever extent we decide. And that's the United Nations and agencies within the United Nations. So if we see a group of people somewhere who need help, we can, through the United Nations, try to affect change for those people. Now, it may be a long, drawn-out process. It's very complicated. The United Nations, as it's set up, it doesn't work. It's, it needs to be changed, but that's for another debate. Uh, but but we have a, we have the ability, we have a framework through which we can try to help different groups of people on our planet uh, and navigate, like you say, the, the religious mm -hmm. elements, the political elements, and the other things there. And ultimately, we're dealing with our own species and our own world. When it comes to an alien race, as is the case here in Cogenitor, 
uh, we, we, we don't have any ability to do that. And it's really outside of our domain to do so in the first place. Mm. And as much as it pains Trip to see what's going on with this cogenitor, I totally agree with Archer that th- this was the wrong thing to do. And as I quoted what Archer said here earlier on, I agree with Archer too. He tells Trip, you know, if this was Florida or Singapore, I might agree with you. I might agree with what you did. But in this situation, you were wrong. You mm. knew you had no business interfering with those people, but you just couldn't let it alone. And now the cogenitor's dead. Uh, you know, we've made enemies, basically, of, of another alien race. So I, I, don't I think am with Archer assume, on this. I don't think we can assume either that what happened to one cogenitor is indicative of um, how the rest would react. And so I don't think we can base um, all of our assessment of this on, oh, it was disastrous because this happened to one person. But I think in general they weren't asking for our assistance. They weren't asking for our judgment of their way of life. Right. And uh, it it wasn't... um, it wasn't Tripp's place to interfere in that, to assume that he knew better. Well, it reminds me a lot of, okay, so I live in Japan. And again, as people who listen to the network know I'm American, but I've lived in Japan most of my adult life. So I'm quite Japanese, the way that I, I do things. I see a lot of people who visit Japan, who come here for a year or two years. And all they do is complain about this or that aspect of Japanese culture and how we do things because it's different than the way that they do it. And to them, it's wrong. Well, it's, it's not wrong. It's just how we do things. Uh, we, you know, we may have the same view of another mm. culture as well. And so I, I agree with you that we cannot base the ultimate consequences of the cogenitors uh, being given educational opportunities on what this one person did. But the the core of the story is simply the principle, which is that we we can't interfere mm. with these cultural aspects of another society. Well, it's also about giving, you know, each cogenitor may have, um, the majority of them may have been quite happy in the role that they were given. Mm-hmm. And we see, we see this issue a lot with uh, women's rights and the right to choose whether that be a career or to be a stay-at-home mum or whatever it is that they choose and having that freedom to do that and not to judge their choices. And uh, as I said, just because this one cogenitor may have wanted to pursue that, it, it doesn't mean that that was right for all of them. I would uh, draw another comparison with Australian Indigenous society and um, and the consequences for westernising or attempting to westernise Aboriginal society have been quite disastrous for the fabric of that culture, um, particularly masculine identity. And so where we think that we are providing opportunity and we're actually destroying a culture. Mm -hmm. We have a similar parallel here in Japan, in fact, to that. We have have an Aboriginal group here as well that's uh, much smaller, but same situation so all right well we are running we're getting pretty close to an hour by the time we wrap up the show here so let's 
just see where we've come to here. So taking these three episodes into account, Archer's journey with the Prime Directive getting from not even thinking about it to where he is at the end. Uh, you know, he says to Flocks that someday my people are going to come up with some sort of a doctrine, something that tells us what we can and can't do out here, should and shouldn't do. But until somebody tells me that they've drafted that directive, I'm going to have to remind myself every day that we didn't come out here to play guide. And that's into your doctor. So that's at the beginning of the journey. Mm-hmm. But even at the end of that, he realizes like it's going to be my, at that point, he's still thinking it's my instinct to do this. I'm going to have to tell myself it's not why I'm out here. By the That's end, true. I think he, he gets to actually believing that a little bit more. And the beauty of it is that I think T'Pol is quite willing as it goes on to let him make those mistakes and learn that for himself rather than trying to protect him. Yeah. I do wish that Enterprise had dealt with the development of the Prime Directive a little bit more. Of course, we got the Zindi in Season 3, which sent the show on a new course, and the Season 4 mm-hmm. became more of a pure TOS prequel. Uh, maybe not pure, but a lot more so than the first two seasons. And along the way, what happened, as much as people like, especially the fourth season, I think that it it caused us to lose the opportunity to mm-hmm. explore some of these principles in the way that the series probably should have as a prequel. I agree completely. I really do enjoy the exploration of these early elements of of Star Trek and the Federation. And uh, yeah, I've said it before too, that season four offers some great stuff, but in doing so and focusing on TOS, it, it does sacrifice some of these really core Star Trek stories. Yeah. um, and even in, in the next generation, we see quite a lot of exploration of the Prime Directive and it, it would have been really interesting to see them look at similarly themed stories but from a different perspective of people that actually don't have that Prime suggestion yeah. behind them. I think Dear Doctor did that well. Dear Doctor is one of the great Star Trek episodes, I think. Every time I watch it, I, I appreciate that episode more more and more because it's a kind of story that you may have seen on the next generation, mm. but the approach to it is, is much deeper than we got on the next generation. It's, it's a, it's a really rich episode. I think anyone who's not an enterprise, if you have friends, if you're listening to this because you love enterprise and you have friends who aren't really enterprise fans, I would show them dear doctor. Like if they, if they mm. are next generation fans, show them dear doctor. I really think that they will, become more interested in the series after seeing that. All right, Kate. Well, it has been a really interesting conversation today about the Prime Directive, but it's not the only thing we've been talking about here on the network this past week. So here are some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.fm, The Orb. Aliens of Deep Space Nine. That's a really good question. I honestly never even thought to question the Vorta's idea of their own existence uh, and whether or not it was, you know, just a story. Earl Grey. The 1701D. So correct me if I'm wrong, it's been a little while since I've seen Generations, but is it possible also that before it was used as stellar cartography, it might have been Cerebro? The Ready Room. Homefront and Paradise Lost. See, that's the kind of guy I want to vote for. If he says, I don't want to do this, 
Please don't vote for me. That job looks really hard. I'm going to go. I like this guy. To the journey! Collective commentary. Right. No, no. no. The Borg does okay. not. The, they the don't not have a base. like that. They All have right. to assimilate. Because that, that, I just thought was strange. Like, okay, so one of the people they assimilated was pregnant or. Okay. Commentary Trek stars. Roswell. And that was what Kadams was going for in season one. He saw it as, as more of a, a metaphor than anything. He didn't really care about the actual science fiction behind it. And he said that he got a note from a network exec which just said, Aliens, aliens, aliens. Warp 5. The Sphere Builders. And, and it is a good concept. I think it, uh, and obviously the reasons it was introduced were, were more because of the studio and wanting that uh, looking forward perspective, you know, getting ahead of the 24th century. Trek news and views. Who watches the watchers? Which also brings into question um, Dr. Crusher because, uh, you know, Pulaski can put a new heart in him, but Beverly Crusher can't even heal an arrow wound. Literary Treks. Assignment Earth Comics. I kind of liked it in that it picks up from Assignment Earth, the Star Trek episode, where we find out that Gary Seven has been sent there to find out why the two agents who were supposed to be stopping that missile launch can't do it. What happened to them? And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and get your daily Trek Talk fix. We have new shows for you every day of the week, and some days we even have two shows for you. And you'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zune. You can stream or download from the website. Many, many ways for you to get our shows. So go check all of those out. And you can hop over to trek.fm slash pd for podcast directory to get links. And if you'd like to contact us and share your thoughts on any of the episodes we talked about today, the Prime Directive, how Archer approached it, whatever you want to talk about, you can go to our website at trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. You can choose to send to a show. Choose Warp 5, and that will come to Kate and me both by email. You can also send us a voicemail by using the tab on the right-hand side of any page. If you click that, a box will appear. You can use your webcam to record the message and upload it to us as an MP3 file. You can also go to our forums at trek.fm slash forums if you'd like to talk to other listeners. And then in social media, you'll find us at facebook.com slash trek.fm and also on Twitter under username trek.fm. And Kate, you know, if anyone would like to to talk to you, I think the best way is to tweet us at trek.fm or use that form on the website to send over a message. And if you'd like to catch me personally, you can find me on Twitter and my personal account, which is C. Brian Jones, the letter C and Brian with a Y. And also I have my personal website, cbrianjones.com. And then you'll find me elsewhere on the network on Sundays with Matthew Rushing, where we talk Star Trek books and comics on literary treks. Mondays on The Orb with Matthew, where we talk Deep Space Nine. And then Tuesdays on The Ready Room, where I'm joined by hosts from all across the network and special guests to discuss all five live-action Star Trek series. So, um... By then, you'll be sick of my voice, but I hope you'll listen to all of my guests and co-hosts as well as we have great discussions about Star Trek. We also wanted to invite you to check out Andrew Allen's album, Smooth Federation. If you Smooth. like the jazz cover of Where My Heart Will Take Me here on Mook 5, maybe you like it better than the version used on the show. <laughs> you buy it. Comment. You'll find that <laughs> plus nine other jazz renditions of music from across Star Trek. So go and pick up the album in iTunes or on Amazon. 
I know I really love that album, and uh, I'm sure you do too, Chris. Yeah, I do. I, I hear it uh, helps soothe uh, Phlox's pyrethian bat when it gets out on the loose as well. It does, yeah. Actually, I, I think that Andrew was carried to the future by Future Guy and was commissioned by Flux to do these smooth jazz versions of all of these tracks, specifically to make sure that the bat uh, would remain calm, stay in the cage until needed. Uh, they, you know, they didn't want to have to put padding, you know, like when you have kids <laughs> and you have to put pads on the corners of the furniture and all. He didn't want to do that in sick bay. People were getting hurt, you know, chasing the bat around. So, so I, I'm sure Flux is very appreciative of Andrew's work. You're going to get sick of making all that origami after a while when you've got Andrew Allen to help you out. Why not? Exactly. Yeah, it's very time consuming. So, so everyone go check that album out. And we'd also like to ask you to please support our sponsor for this week's show. Your support of our sponsors is very important to making it possible for us to bring Warp 5 to you every week. And our sponsor is Squarespace, the web's best hosting in CMS that makes it simple for you to create a beautiful blog, a website, a portfolio, an online store. Anything you can imagine, you know, one thing we did with Squarespace is we created Trek FM. Trek FM is built on Squarespace. I use it for many of my client projects as well. I absolutely love it. I know you are too. And the best way to find out is to just go try it free for 14 days. There's no credit card required. Just enter your name and email address. And in a matter of minutes, you will be using Squarespace tools to create an exceptional web presence. And you can import your site from platforms like WordPress if you'd like to see how it's going to look there and how you can use the tools to make it even better. Pricing is fantastic. It starts at just $8 per month. And as a Trek FM listener, you can use offer code TREK9 to save 10% off your lifetime purchase on new accounts. And also another special offer, choose the annual plan and you can get a free custom domain registration as well. So you can get your name or your store.com, whatever you want. Build that website with Squarespace and you'll be helping Trek FM at the same time. And we really appreciate Squarespace's support of the network. Also, another way you can help us out if you'd like is to go to trek.fm slash donate. We have eight original alien illustrations there available as badges or art prints. You can mix and match, choose what you'd like. They are custom illustrations by Tobu Ushi, who does most of the artwork that you see on our website. And we have different levels of donations that you can make. So choose what's right for you. Let us know which aliens you want. We'll get them right off to you by Shuttlecraft. We don't want to send them through those enterprise transporters yet. You know, maybe in a couple more seasons we'll be comfortable with it. But go check it all out at trek.fm slash donate. And we really appreciate your support of the network. I'd like to thank everyone for listening. Please join us again next week here in the Decon Chamber for another episode of Warp 5.